I think naturally as most people do when they're involved in the performing arts scene locally they get involved with Gaddock and, and a stage school and so that was kind of my route in but yeah from there it kind of I, I never really took it too seriously like many people do and go away to drama school and, uh, and, and dance school and so forth so I didn't really go down that route I kind of went off to uh, well I went off to uni to study um, well it was a BA econ so economics but business studies and politics okay so <laughs> not quite in the uh, yeah in the <laughs> creative scene um but yeah I, I was kind of just um I mean I, I'm of the generation of I mean on the back of Brexit so when that happened in 2016 I was applying to uni and I was already interested in politics so I kind of uh, that's where my interest space was I guess um so I went off to uni the University of Manchester and studied politics and and business for three years and and came back and uh, sort of settled into the finance industry as one does. But yeah, so that's kind of my background. Um, yeah, so yeah. the finance sector, though, seems very different to me from the creative industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, are you still working in the finance industry alongside your work in the creative sector? I am, yeah, yeah. So okay. um, work full-time um, at Guernsey Finance. So okay. that's my, my long-term, Yeah. Uh, that's, my, that's my, my career. The creative sector, then, is it more of a passion for you? Yeah, I think I, mean, I think like it's got to be a passion. I mean, you probably wouldn't do it if there was no passion there. Mm-hmm. But like most things, if you, I guess, if you get good enough or if you uh, stick at it for long enough, then eventually, you know, opportunities come mm-hmm. about. I think it's an interesting time here because obviously we've talked. There's a discussion being had, I guess, in the kind of local civil society a little bit about like film industry, and we've heard recently about. Um, requests for taxpayer money being used and yeah. and that's very controversial and which by the way I'm not convinced it ever should but the that that has kind of like created yeah. a little bit of interest in the public sphere and then plus the yeah the rising local short film scene and now feature film scene with um you know Alex Bates Cameron Ashplant my brother um and and others Lars Janssen Charlotte Potter and others so though 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 there's kind of been that kind of wider civil society discussion being had in the background yeah. whilst this kind of a burgeoning local yeah. short and now feature film scene on the rise. So I think that has kind of created yeah. Yeah, an interest at that level. And why do you think it's happened now? Is it just because the technology is more accessible? I don't know. It's a good question because it feels like the technology was... I mean, that you know, people have owned cameras and high-res high mm. and high-quality sort of you know, cameras for... A, I don't know, I want to see like the better part of a, at least a decade, if not mm. longer. Um, and again, sort of, you know, editing software has been sort of readily available for probably the better part of a decade. So I don't know, well, I'm, I'm wondering whether it's on the back of COVID because it kind of felt like in the tw- early 2020s at the start of this decade, it kind of like kicked yeah. off and now it's kind of got a bit of traction. So I don't know really, because the technology is kind of always, is, well, it's been there for like, like I say, a good 10 or 15 years, but it's really, I mm. guess we've seen it come about now which is yeah i don't really yeah. know why i wonder why yeah and you mentioned the short films and also feature length films yes yeah um first of all actually what car- what counts as a short film how short um, are short films in in the industry yeah well i guess there's no um i'm probably the wrong person to ask <laughs> because this is my first short film but i think i think i'm right in saying there's no like particular definition okay. i think if you go to various film festivals some will tell you it's no longer than 25 minutes. Um, some will say it's no longer than 45 minutes. Okay. And when you go beyond 45, it's a feature. So I think, uh, I think realistically, anything that's above an hour, an hour and 15, around that territory and more... Is a feature. Is though. a feature. Um, but if you're yeah hovering around half an hour or less, then it's a short. Um, and do you yeah. work in both? 
feature well, it, films, short films? Is it any length of films? Yeah. Or are you focusing more on short films? Well, I think it, short film, the short film genre is a good place to start for any sort of like uh, emerging filmmaker because I think it allows you to try and test things out, um, mm. at least from my experience on this short, um, in the way that a feature doesn't perhaps allow you to do. Because when, when you c- commit to a feature, not only do you need the kind of budget, it's the economics resource needed mm. to make it happen, but also you're then committing huge kind of sums of your time to that mm. to that uh, vestiture. Whereas if you've got a short film, you can kind of um, reasonably get it off the ground in, you know, anything under a year, I would say. I mean, okay. this, take, this took us a year to make, but we could have probably, if we were more pressing with time, we could have probably done it in, you know, six, seven, eight, nine months. So I think, um, I think short film is a good place to start if you're, a, yeah, an early sort of coming over the, uh, out of the box filmmaker. But mm-hmm. I think in terms of, yeah, in terms of my personal experience, I've never, I've never made a feature I've been in a feature, so I was in Underground, the local yes, horror yeah. um, uh, feature by uh, Guernsey Filmworks and Ravasa Films. But I've never made one, so I couldn't tell you. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, but, so with your short film that we'll come on to in more detail in a moment, so it's called Bet Your Bottom Dollar. Yes, yeah. And you've been working on that for a year. Yes. How much time did you spend on it? over the course of a year because as you said you work full time was this just kind of evenings and weekends yeah it was purely evenings and weekends um and maybe if i had um if i'd booked some holiday in guernsey and i was here yeah. maybe sort of work on it but we kind of shot it on weekends and, and in evenings and around people's schedules mm. and so you wrote the short film yeah and then obviously directed it correct yeah um so it really is your your baby, isn't it? Yes, this yeah, is your yeah, yeah. kind of creative idea, yes. and it's come all the way through to fruition, being premiered this weekend. So, what can you tell us then about? Obviously, we want people to go and watch it, mm. but what can you tell us about Bet Your Bottom Dollar? Well, I think it's probably worth me just contextualising it in the okay. sense of it's not my story. So it's about addiction. It's about gambling addiction, okay. specifically online betting addiction, which I think is quite nuanced yeah. and. I think genuinely very underexplored mm. as a social issue. When we, t- when we talk about addiction, one often assumes we're talking about maybe alcohol addiction or or, gam- uh, or sorry, um, maybe drug addiction. I don't know. And, and it feels like those particular addictions mm. are there's less taboo. Yeah. Um, and I'm not just talking about in Guernsey. I'm talking about the wider world. Here. I mean, the wider Western world, as it were. That struck me as a really underexplored issue because I wanted to make a short film, but I wanted to do something different mm-hmm. and something that hadn't necessarily been done. And I came across an article just purely by chance. I don't even remember how I came across it, but the article in question was by the UK charity Be Gamble Aware. You might have heard of them. Um, And they published research where they basically claimed that 1.4 million people in the UK uh, are experiencing what they call gambling harms, quote-unquote. So this figure stuck with me. And I think having discussed it with a close friend who I wouldn't say is a betting addict but has certainly dabbled in 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 online formats of that of that kind it kind of it dawned on me how much of a, mm. a, a socialist issue this is because if you look yeah. at this the population of the UK 1.4 million is a sizable minority uh, of people so I, I mean I don't know what the stats and the data is around Guernsey and what the figures look like over here but no doubt it touches lives here yeah, and it's something that's um impacting people's lives on a day-to-day basis on the island so again it just struck me as something that was underexplored and I wanted to sort of yeah well scrape below the surface or pull back the curtain or whatever you want to say yeah into this issue and, and I, th- I thought the short film format was the perfect medium yeah. to, to do that so the story while it's not your story yeah um obviously you wrote the script 
Um, so a fair amount of research, I'm guessing, then, into the gambling sector and online gambling in particular. Yes, yeah, a lot. Um, and, and again, it was the more you, it's one of those where the more you go down that rabbit hole, the darker yeah. it gets in the sense of, um, I mean, I think there was, it was a really important balance between appreciating, because when I say 1.4 million people, it's kind of like it's a figure. It doesn't necessarily mean something, mm. but, that, but that's 1.4 million people's lives. Mm. So as well as sort of appreciating the, the data and looking at the qualitative side, it was also important to understand the, the, sorry, the quantitative side. It was also important to understand the qualitative side, i.e. the human stories. Mm. So yeah, it was really important to um, kind of just do a lot of online desktop research and understand um, the human stories. I mean, if you look at a kind of common... Um, the common thread that I kind of came across and without giving too many spoilers kind of built into the yeah. narrative um, was this idea that victims feel as though the, um, and they and they are ultimately victims because it is addiction. They feel that the, the industry is kind of created in such a way that it sucks one in and doesn't let them leave um, on their own volitions in the sense that once you are, um, once you lose money, the, the, um, the, the way of getting out of that situation is perhaps to, to do some more gambling and inevitably yeah. that leads to more and more debt. And mm. if you're a vulnerable person, that's just, you know, that's a yeah. vicious cycle. So that struck me as shocking because <laughs> even if there are, there's, I mean, there's no doubt regulation in place around mm. this. I'm not convinced it addresses the, the problem yeah. in question. Um, and and if, if people feel like it isn't and those at the coalface feel like it really isn't, then something's going yeah. tragically wrong. Bet your bottom dollar isn't going to be a comedy or a light-hearted it's not, film. No, no. It's going to be upsetting, traumatic for some people to watch um, if they've got those issues. Yeah, yeah, certainly. Educational, I mean, perhaps, for other people who don't. We were quite particular mm. in that we didn't want to... And again, I don't want to spoil some, some things yeah. here, but it doesn't um, reveal, in first principle, the, the actual addiction. It's kind of a, 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 post, a, a post experience, if you, if you like. So it's once it's mm. happened... What, what what does one what does one come across when dealing with the result of it without being too ambiguous mm-hmm. so in a sense it's hopefully it won't be too yeah too distressing or traumatic i don't, i don't i don't think it is i think it's it should be educational but equally it's 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 one that yeah it's not for the faint of heart and it's not um you know, I would say it's for young adults and above. Let's put it like is that. Is there an age rating? There's not. So, I mean, if we wanted to get it age rated, we'd have to go to the to. Um, the, I think I'm right in saying the BFI. But I chatted to um, Oliver Bailey Davies and the guys at the Performing Arts Centre, and they we kind of came to the conclusion that when marketing it and going out, it's probably best to say it's probably a 13A, something okay. around that territory. Yeah, so young yeah. adults, teenagers, and above. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you've got. I mean, you mentioned Oliver Bailey Davies there. So yes. He's a. Uh, very involved at the Performing Arts Centre. Yeah, yeah. But you've got some other, as you said, local names. So Cameron Ashplant, who's your brother. Yes. And yeah. Dave Hyatt, who's very well known, isn't he? In um, for for many things locally, but he does a lot of acting, um, as you said, with Gadok, but also in local films. Yeah, yeah. And you've also got some well-known names, or possibly not well-known names, um, but well-respected names within the industry. Yes, yeah. That aren't local names. Certainly. So you've got quite a breadth of uh, talent working with you on this. Yeah, project. yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, I think like it's a weird, it's an interesting one because two of the cast are certainly like, I mean, one of them is critically acclaimed. He's a Caesar Award nominee, Mark Durrett. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other is, um, and he's probably less well known maybe to Guernsey and UK audiences in the sense that he's, so he's a French actor. So he's, um, his filmography is extensive in the French sort of film and TV scene. And yeah. to the extent that he's been in several sort of French cult classics. So um, by Luc Besson. 
the direct yes, the French director. Okay. So um, La Femme Nikita, La Haine, uh, The Big Blue, um, and Doberman, and How various others. How did you get him involved? Again, to contextualise it, there's been obviously um, there's a burgeoning film scene here, and um, not only short films have been made, but now features. So I think contacts have been made. And so I think as long as you um, reach out to the right local people, they'll happily put you in touch with uh, well-respected and well-regarded individuals off island, as we've mentioned. Um, And so, yeah, really, it was just a case of me sort of, yeah, cold calling and picking up the phone and saying, I've written a script based in Guernsey. It's a short film. um, And we'd be very uh, glad if, uh, in this case, Mark would be keen to be involved. And, And Mark's agent was very keen to pass on the script to him. And uh, he read it, and he was very keen to be involved. So, yeah, uh, yeah kind of a bit of a luck, a bit of a whim, but it's kind of paid off. Well, that must has. have been um, a great feeling for you then when you got that message back that he was keen to be involved. There's also the British actor, Patterson Joseph, is that right? Yes, that's correct, yeah. So um, he played Johnson in Peep Show. So it was all kind of coming together in your planning stages. Yeah. And so when did you start working on this? And when did you start getting all these talented people together? And when did the work start? We shot the film and then we brought on the talent in in a sense. Because the guys, so Patterson and Mark, um, they provided their voice roles. Mm -hmm. And again, without spoiling too much, they play... Their characters are online betting um, employees. So they work for the... French um, betting firm in which the protagonist is indebted to so they answer the phone effectively so it was kind of yeah I reached out to them Mm. after we'd shot the film it felt like right that we had a French actor involved but but again because you can play an accent it felt right to not necessarily be too tethered to that Mm -hmm. idea Mm -hmm. Um, unfortunately well Patterson um, has actually lived and worked in France and he speaks fluent French so yeah I think that's we went we went to them and I was very lucky that they sort of read the script Mm -hmm. felt like it was a an important cause that they wanted to be involved in, um, yeah. and we went from there, really. So who else has been involved? Because there's a couple of other names here, so producers and composers. Yeah. Again, more talent, but this is talent behind the scenes in the production. A uh, producer is um, Jonathan Tamuz, who um, is a Va- he's Vancouver-based, um, Academy Award nominee, um, and he's best known for directing a short film called The Child Eater. Um, okay. which was nominated for an Oscar uh, for Best f- Short Film um, at the 62nd Academy Awards. So again, he's got huge background yeah. and an and understanding of what the genre re- requires mm-hmm. uh, to get it to the Oscars. So um, if it's good enough for them, it's certainly good enough for the, uh, the local version in <laughs> yeah, Guernsey film mean, scene. And-, and I think Jonathan's, um, mm. he's of that uh, generation who was making films in the 80s and the 90s. So he made a comedy road drama um, called Rupert's Land, a feature okay. film. Um, it's a Canadian Screen uh, Award-nominated film. A lot of his filmmaking has been of that genre, which is what we were yeah, going for. So he yeah. kind of came in with, yeah, an understanding of the lens, mm. not only of the quality, but the the lens of the like an understanding of the genre yeah. um, to take the film to to the uh, to the place we wanted it to be. So, yeah, he came on board kind of in a quality control, monitoring, and guidance. Yeah. Um, position from 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 Vancouver, so he was he saw the last kind of six seven drafts of the film, mm-hmm. rather than being involved kind of from the pre production yeah. stages. Um, but I think it was important for me as a budding filmmaker to have my ego sort of knocked down because I think it's really easy to make something and feel really good about yourself and it's all great. Um, but it's only when friends and family and others feed in and they say that's not quite right. I don't agree with that. I don't yeah. think that's quite good. And uh, one thing that he kind of came on and said was actually the pacing's all wrong difficult to hear but it's important right so we kind of went 
back to the drawing board in, on the edit and um, Ken Worthington, who's the editor, he's locally based, um, did an excellent job and he kind of, yeah, gritted his teeth and, uh, and took the pacing to the places we needed, to, needed it to be. But again, without that quality control from the likes of Jonathan and, and others, um, it wouldn't have, I don't think or hope the film would have been as good as, it, as it's turned out to be. Yeah, how did can... that feel then when he said to you, look, the pacing's wrong, start again? How did that feel? I mean, it's difficult because you've yeah. sort of vested a lot of time and, uh, yeah, time into it. So I think it's difficult to hear that, but uh, it's important. And mm. he was brought in in that capacity and very kindly lended his time yeah. to watch the draft. Yeah. So I could only take his advice on. Um, it'd be crazy not to, really. And in terms of a learning curve, yeah, that must have been a very good one to be on because, as you said with his talent and his background. Definitely. That's, you know, something that you'll bear in mind then, oh, pacing yeah. in the editing process going forward. I mean, I didn't go to film school and I've, I'd, I'd never made... Um, well, I'd made a short documentary here mm -hmm. about four or five years ago, but again, it was just me and a friend who picked up a camera yeah. and we made a documentary and it wasn't um, too thought out. But the yeah. with this, it was like, yeah, I'd, I'd heard of the term pacing... Um, as a buzzword that filmmakers might yep. throw around, but um, I never fully appreciated its importance yeah. when we got to the edit, and it was like, okay. And now it's like you watch the first version against the second, it's like you understand the difference. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, I hope to make another film again, but if, if we do, inevitably I'll edit it, or the editor will edit it, and uh, probably the pacing will be wrong first time again. So it's yeah. something you've got to, it's kind of like a, an ever-evolving process. But presumably that's quite common, and in terms of that process then, so you mentioned Ken Worthington, but there'll be different people People that get involved at different stages I'm guessing yeah, in, the, yeah, yeah. in the production process I should mention a few of the guys involved um, both on island and off island so we've got a mixed of, mix of crews so mm -hmm. I'll just fire out some names because yeah. it's worth giving the guys a shout out so um, yeah London based Jay McCurgy who was our sound designer um, we've also got Los Angeles based um, Juan Matos um, who was the pianist for our LA based um, composer Omar Aldeeb and then we've got um, a lot of local crews, so Matthew Stockwriter, who was the director of photography, who's filmed a lot of local uh, films. He works very closely with Alex Bates and White Rock Productions, and uh, he also filmed the local feature, Marooned Awakening, um, last okay, year. Yep. Um, and also, as I mentioned, Ken Worthington, our editor. But We've also got um, Anthony Ford Marsland, who's a gaffer, who's again worked on loads of local films. Um, Barney Lawson as our boom operator, Nick Biddlecombe, our colourist. Uh, Gaz Patworth from Element Films who mm -hmm. did a bit of sound recording support so yeah we've got a, a wide ranging yeah. team um, and it's just worth yeah just giving them some praise because um, it's very much a collaborative art um, and I can't sort of take the credit for it. But hopefully as many of those people as possible particularly the ones who are locally based yeah. will be at the premiere on Friday night so Friday yes, yeah. the 15th at the Performing Arts Centre. Who else is going to be there? Is it invited guests only? Some deputies will be joining us as well. Um, and obviously members of the public um, mm -hmm. once they've bought their tickets. Um, and yeah, so we've, in terms of the running order, we've got um, Deputy Steve Fuller has very kindly agreed to say some words on behalf of um, economic development mm -hmm. and the states. And we've also actually, I should also say, we've got um, Russ Fossey, who's chair of Guernsey Arts. Yeah, okay. And I haven't mentioned Guernsey Arts, but they've been absolutely, absolutely vital and instrumental in terms of us getting this over the line because mm. we wouldn't have had we wouldn't have made the film as it stands without them because they provided the budget. Hugely important organisation and uh, they should be supported till the yeah. end. I mean, I haven't got a crystal ball to sort of gaze into the future, but mm -hmm. I think like if we play our cards right, it feels like um, Guernsey could 
you know, position itself in such a way that we are mm. um, attractive, maybe is the right word, to, to filmmakers. Yeah. Um, I think one point that's come up in these kind of discussions has also been the idea that Guernsey's a very versatile filmmaking location in the sense of like, we're only 25 square miles, mm-hmm. but within that, and it's very easy to move around the island yeah. within 25, 30 minutes yeah. max, um, we have got hugely... Uh, different sort of terrain and landscape so we've got gram rock the rocky outcrops we've got the pine trees at reservoir Mm. and so on Mm. and so it's like a hugely versatile landscape within such a small area i think it's actually a perfect film filmmaking location i'm not saying that government should be involved in and and they certainly shouldn't i don't my personal opinion they absolutely shouldn't be using taxpayer money in, Mm -hmm. in in propelling that forward because it's not only is it hugely risky but it's also not best use of taxpayer money but that doesn't that's not to say that the government shouldn't necessarily um, commit small resource into exploring that potential yeah. um, and, and expanding, you know, because if it's an economic growth factor, why not explore it to some extent? Whether it requires, um, hu- if it requires huge taxpayer funding, then I'm, I'm of course, against that. But obviously Guernsey Arts then um, yeah. do help with funding, not just in the film sector, yeah. but in all kind of creative sectors, don't they? And yeah, they, yeah. They support so many different Oh, huge vast. I mean, um, you know, everything from... Uh, paintings and and yeah. uh, and and and, art and pieces of artwork to yeah to film and and everywhere in between really yeah. um, performing arts stage theatre music they're very mm. active in promoting the local music scene and and yeah they're hugely important and uh, I think not held in such high regard as they should be because yeah. they are uh, they are absolutely vital to having truth be told we probably wouldn't have the burgeoning film scene that we do had they not existed. Yeah. Um, Certainly a lot of the films that have been made, not all, but certainly I think most probably have been made with their funding. So, yeah, they're absolutely crucial. Yeah. So the Performing Arts Centre this Friday night and after then, when will people be able to watch it? Will it be available online? Are you going to be submitting it to any film festivals or awards? Yeah, so it remains to be seen. I think because it's a short film, it's not necessarily commercially viable. So earlier this year, um, my brother's feature, Marooned Awakening, picked up a US distribution deal Brilliant. Um, and I, th- I think there's the difference there is because it's a feature it's commercially viable so it, mm. it can be placed on a platform like Amazon or, or Netflix whereas um, with this uh, it's not so commercially viable because it's only 17 minutes yeah so it's purely kind of more of a creative expression without being too snobby but yeah the long-term p- plan is to go to film festivals with it yeah um, and and we're in the process now we're at that juncture now where we're yeah. kind of going out to submit um, it's just uh, about I guess it just it depends. It remains to be seen how it pans out from there. Really. But and what next then? What else are you working on? Uh, so I'm very fortunate to be um, appearing in front of the camera in Alex Bates's next short film, okay. um, Sands of Purgatory. Uh, so he has very kindly um, brought me into the cast, and I'm very kind. Uh, I'm very appreciative of that, and that's yeah. going to be a great film because I think he's touted it as being his most ambitious yet. So that's okay. quite exciting. <laughs> Um, and that's all been filmed locally, hasn't it? Again, yeah, he's yeah. filming that lo- locally. And again, that's, um, I think I'm right in saying it's post-apocalyptic. So, yeah. again, just proves how versatile Guernsey can be. I'm, yeah, also involved in a little bit of theatre locally. So I'm in Romeo and Juliet um, at the end of the year uh, with more theatre. It's uh, the theatre company of um, Andrew Hislop, who is very big in the local theatre scene and, and now burgeoning film scene. So, yeah, there's lots coming up and, uh, and it's, it's exciting to see where things go. Thank you for listening to The Interview, a Bailiwick Express podcast. If you liked what you heard, please like and subscribe.
You can find us on all social media channels, and if you'd like to keep up to date on all the work the Express team does, please sign up to our daily email by visiting gsy.bailiwickexpress.com.